press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Monday, December 12. Tensions are rising between the government and big business over another wave of industrial relations changes. Anthony Albanese wants to legislate that companies who engage workers through so-called cowboy labour hire companies will have to pay them the same wage as their employees doing the same job. Workplace Relations Minister Tony Burke says there are legitimate uses for labour hire, like for seasonal or surge workforces, but some companies are exploiting loopholes to rip off their staff. The Greens and Independent Senator David Pocock are demanding tougher action on climate policy in return for passing the government's new emergency energy price relief laws. The new laws will put a price cap on coal and gas, and that's enraged fossil fuel producers who are planning an ad blitz against the idea. Catholic priests may refuse to give a dying blessing to terminally ill people who use voluntary assisted dying. Euthanasia laws are already in force in Victoria, Tasmania and WA, with the rest of the nation to follow soon. Queensland's new laws come into effect on January 1, and the state's leading Catholic bishops say the laws contravene the sanctity of life and priests won't give the viaticum, a Holy Communion ritual for those near death. Stay with us in just a moment what your boss really thinks of working from home and working with a federal Labor government. The Australian's annual CEO survey is a chance to find out what the nation's decision makers think about the economy, society and the year ahead. Our business editor-at-large, Tiki Fullerton, has a hotline to the bosses, and she's joining me now. Tiki, I've heard you on the phone over the past few weeks chasing down these very busy people. Let's start with the year just gone, where we dealt with the lingering effects of the pandemic and got used to being very agile, which is something that I think bosses are supposed to like. How are they coping Claire, I think it was a really interesting result from this survey, and I think it's the biggest yet with over 90 business leaders responding. Last year, when we were still sort of thinking about lockdowns, it was very difficult to get the leaders to do anything but just sit back and watch Australians work more and more from home. Once considered a perk, working from home became a new normal for many people during the coronavirus, and it could be here to stay. No one was talking about that getting back into the office was a better thing. In fact, it was all about people can be just as productive, if not more so, at home. Now, this result that we've just had in shows that a number of business leaders, and I say a number, are really sending quite a different message about the importance of getting back into the office. There's some very strong words from all sorts of different chief executives about 
people needing to go back to the office more rather than less for their own well-being and their own success, as well as the companies. Quoting a couple, a Dexas CEO, Darren Steinberg says, you can't build a culture over the internet. Bendigo and Adelaide CEO, Marnie Baker, says, our business has been built on connection, community and relationships. The well-being of our colleagues is a key consideration here, being able to actually see and connect with people in real life. So bizarrely, when people were talking about mental health and work-life balance, being at home, being better, almost the argument now from bosses is that actually, for your own good, you should be back in the office. Well, Labor's contentious industrial relations bill is set to pass Parliament before Christmas. Do you feel that their concern about that is that they don't quite understand how it's going to work in effect, or is it that they do understand it and they're really not happy? I think that they understand enterprise bargaining very well. Some of them still remember it from back from when it played out in the 1980s. But I think this idea that there's a risk that if unions demand in one workplace a big jump in wages, when in another workplace, which might have cut a completely different deal with the workforce, with other added benefits in different directions, that that could then just sort of be pattern bargained across is is a real concern. Tiki, are the CEOs you're talking to acknowledging that wages do have to get moving and how do they think the new IR laws are going to impact on their workforce? I think broadly, CEOs really believe that wages have to move in certain low paid sectors. They all agree on that. Their big concern is that in other sectors, these wage hikes that are predicted may not match productivity. And that's happening at a time when Australia has got to be competitive for global capital as we've got the energy transition coming through. You've got America introducing something called the Inflation Reduction. Act, which is offering incredible incentives for all things in energy transition. Over here, we've got a risk of the government coming in either with super profits taxes in the energy sector or intervention in the sector. Companies are really not sure about what is going to happen in terms of how they're going to be a force to play on, on wages. Is 2023 the year when that romance sours a bit with the Albanese government for business? Look, I think the Albanese government and including Treasurer Jim Chalmers have really done well with business, putting aside the IR. Uh, I mean, I think they made a big effort to try and get close and talk to business ahead of the election. And and they've done a lot of things that business actually supports in terms of, say, international relationships with China being a classic example the other big story coming through. We've had a company, Pilbara Minerals, that's come from nowhere, a lithium mining company, 12 months ago. Pilbara Minerals has been a a story of commitment, raising the money, the engineering, the feasibility studies, having the commitment to, to push the story through to completion. It's now in the top 40. I think it's worth something like $14 billion. Now, this is an extraordinary transformation. And what the government would like to see is much more downstream value adding and jobs. So both in refining and then potentially in building some of this infrastructure in energy transition. So I think it'll depend as well what government policies turn out to be in that direction. Dickie Fullerton is The Australian's business editor at large. Coming up, the miracle test concussion campaigners have been waiting for.
access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt, and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free, and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth, and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. Being a professional athlete is, is put on a pedestal in society and you get rewarded for that, but you pay a price. For me, I want to take responsibility. I want to know what's going on. I'm not going to plead ignorance and sleepwalk through this, get hit when I'm at whatever age with some devastating news. I need to be aware of the damage and then do something about it. That was rugby league legend James Graham. He's explaining how concussions were worn like badges of honour in the Australian's podcast, Head Noise. Now, a groundbreaking new test for concussion promises to provide fast results and reduce hospital wait times across the country. The simple blood test can evaluate traumatic brain injury in less than 20 minutes, and it'll be available from next year. Amani Sadiq is a cadet with The Australian, and she joins me now. Amani, this test is potentially game-changing, particularly in sports where athletes are at a greater risk of receiving a knock to the head. Who developed it and how long did it take? This was developed by Abbott, which is a US-based kind of medical technology innovator company, and they developed it over technically 20 years. It came from a US Department of Defense research project where they were trying to develop this method of testing for brain injuries. And they went to Abbott and they said, hey, can you collaborate with different sort of medical professionals and optimize this technology? And over almost 10 years, they developed this method of blood testing for brain injuries, which, you know, has never been done before. And concussion is complex. So how does this test actually work? For the first time, a doctor in a hospital will be able to draw your blood similar to any other kind of blood test. And then they can run some tests on it and it tests for two types of brain proteins. And if you have any sort of elevated number of brain proteins in this blood sample, then you have a brain injury, like a concussion. If you don't, then you don't. And they are able to test it to such a level of accuracy that they could detect picogram levels, which is a thousand times smaller than a nanogram in weight in terms of how much brain protein is present in your blood. So they're, they're detecting it at really low kind of levels here. Um, so the accuracy is meant to be really high as well. And it's possible that this test could significantly reduce the burden on emergency departments because it gets those quite amazing results in just 18 minutes. How long does testing for traumatic brain injury currently take and is it a comparably lengthy process? Oh, absolutely. Because the current process that they do now, the way that it would happen is you would go into a doctor's office and they ask you questions, you know, do you remember what day it is? Do you remember who the prime minister is? And if you are exhibiting symptoms of amnesia, then they will say, okay, maybe you should go get a CT head scan. But it's really easy to miss those common symptoms 
of amnesia and sometimes symptoms don't present the same way. So it really is keep an eye on a person, see how they're doing. Are they exhibiting nausea? Do they have headaches? Are they forgetting things? Are they stumbling? Um, And it really requires you to have like subjective sort of inference knowledge on how a person is doing after a head injury. Being able to test within 18 minutes, it's just super important for hospital wait times. And what's the plan now that the test has been approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration? When can we expect to see it in action in hospitals? Yeah, so they expect that Australian hospitals will be able to roll out this testing as early as next year. So that's the first kind of plan for that testing model. But then they're also looking at how do we optimize this so that it's portable, so that you can use it pretty much anywhere. So when it comes to athletes, for example, if you get concussed on the field, ideally they want to develop this further so that you can test at the field rather than having to transport the athlete to a hospital. They want to be able to roll it out in GPs and clinics as well. So you don't have to go to the emergency department room if you're an average civilian. So those are kind of the next steps that they're looking at. But as early as next year, we might have it in Australian hospitals and emergency departments. Amani Sadiq is a journalist at The Australian. She was speaking with The Front's Kristen Amiot. Thanks for joining us on The Front. If you were worried about the floods destroying all our Christmas fruit and veggies, you can relax. A surprise bumper crop of cherries is about to hit the shops, so the pavlova is saved. Some of our other favourite festive foods aren't so plentiful, however, and you can read all about it right now at theaustralian.com.au. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.